Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Alicia Shanice Reviews. I am your host. It's your girl, Shanice, coming back at you with another podcast. We are on episode 85 today. Today's topic is the documentary that we were supposed to cover a couple months back. When we did um, Narcos Mexico recap, and due to it is the weekend of the return of season three, I am back as promised to uh, discuss the documentary that you can find on Hulu, Narco Wars, season one, episode three, titled Battle of the Border. I thought it was important that we uh, went over this before we uh, did the show. We did that with season two um, when we discussed the Guadalajara cartel, the documentary, The Last Narc. We talked about that. So as we conclude to the last season of the Narcos franchise, why not go ahead and finish up Battle of the Border? Because um, Narcos season three, Mexico, this will talk about, this will sum everything up. We'll see the rise and fall of Chapo, the Felix brothers, Amato, the golf. We'll see it all tie up into one season. I know they said they're going to stop it here. They have signed a deal to where they have picked up a six episode um, series for Blanco. And that'll start of that'll start off in Medellin, Colombia, where she's from. So that'll be pretty good. I I can already imagine how that's going to be. She is the godmother of Kokiana. So we're going to talk about that when that drops. I'm predicting this will be a very strong season. I'm hoping you guys will tune in every day this weekend, all weekend. I'm going to be uploading Narcos Everything. We are going to be a Narcos podcast this weekend, making it a marathon like we did with the television show, You. So if you didn't catch my You marathon, make sure you check that out. It's on Netflix as well. I am also covering the Snowfall series. Um, I'm stopping for a few weeks. We'll pick back up maybe like in a week or two. I don't want to really set a date because I don't want to not come on and didn't keep my word. But we'll pick up shortly because I am going out of town for a couple of days. So Snowfall is coming up. But if you haven't, you have time to catch up on the show. You have time to catch up on the recaps. We are doing BMF. No matter if I'm out of town or not, I will be uploading my BMF. Well, uh, we are covering Big Sky, which Narcos came on the perfect weekend because none of those shows are coming on. They took their weekly break. So we didn't have to do a BMF recap or a Big Sky. I did my Queens. I dropped that last night. So make sure you guys check that out. But pretty much we're just going to be on our weekend doing a Narcos Marathon, having a fun weekend. I do have a special episode planned for Sunday. I'm going to do the uh, uh, my first recap of a movie. We've talked about movies. I've dedicated one of my 50th episode to my favorite movies of the 90s. And I had plans to do do this regardless. And I'll explain more when I do the episode. But Sunday, um, when the time that I normally drop the BMF by it doesn't come on, I'm going to do a recap of the movie paid in full with everything going on with the Apple situation. You know, we just do a recap of the movie and talk about the documentary. 
So that's pretty much it. Um, you always can find me on my social media platforms if you choose to. Alicia Shanice for Facebook, Alicia Shanice Reviews for IG. If you're into music, I have made some pretty dope playlists, all genres. They are all on Spotify. All you have to do is type in Shanice Loves. I know one will pop up. You'll see my picture. Click on it and it'll take you to all of the rest of the playlists. They are only on Spotify. So it's a free app, a dope app, and you can catch all of that. I'm sorry for the confusion last week on the pod. I had to edit a couple episodes and take them down and re-upload them. So some of them looked like they were brand new, but the introduction, that was my very first episode I've ever recorded. So if you hear the nervousness in my voice, the sound system being all over the place, that was my very first episode. The versus battle, that was from May. I had to remove something and upload it because it was only playing on one platform because I had a song in both episodes. I had to re-edit the snowfall because I had um, left something out. I had to add that back in. So everything was unorganized. I apologize about that. They're not in order, but they're all up there. Snowfall season three, we concluded that last week. The other two episodes, those were from some of my very first. So on that note, let's talk Narcos. Name is Shanice and she's the one. Her name is Shanice and she's the one. All right, guys. So this was a a very strong documentary. I enjoyed it. I had watched it before. But you know, every time you uh, watch something and you go back and watch it, you learn a little bit more. You notice something that you didn't notice before. So this was a really good documentary. Um, You know, it starts off and it shows us that the Sinaloa cartel smuggles more than 50 million uh, dollars worth of drugs past U.S. Customs every week. And that's very important because we know Sinaloa is very important in the story and how the cartels are to this day because of Miguel Felix, um, Rafa Carroll, Quintero, Don Nito, those three. And they started the Guadalajara cartel. They were the first cartel. They brought you know, everyone into this federation and it had never been done before. So, um, you know, Sinaloa has a very strong history. It shows, um, it goes to the time of Sinaloa, Mexico in 2020. And it shows them, it shows a man, he has like a mask on and they're showing on how they, you know, doing their thing, getting everything together, um, producing methamphetum, um, because it was, you know, he says it was really cheap. It sells at a very high price. It's the most damaged drug. It's easy to sell. It has no odor. So, you know, the cops, the dogs, the police dogs, they can't detect this. So it's easy to move. It also showed on how they were getting everything together in one room. They had everything sealed in these bags. And it was uh, 600 to 20,000 and 700,000 in one room. And it showed on how they were loading them up into the vents, heading for the U.S.-Mexico border, and how it was 500 miles away from Sinaloa, and on how, you know, this was Tijuana's territory, this border. And 
is set for rival cartels to compete for the border. You know, this was very important. And first of all, Tijuana was important because of the routes. And not only that, in 1989, after Miguel Felix was incarcerated for the murder of Kiki Camarano, um, he he was still running his business shortly after. He just handed everything over to his nephews, which a lot of people didn't know. The Felix brothers, they were his nephew, uh, his nephew. So he handed, you know, let them run the operation, but everything went haywire after he went in and after this federation had f- torn apart and it showed us that at the end of narcos when he was telling um the cop walt the detective walt like this is what's going to happen you're going to hate that you got rid of me and i'm sure it didn't go down like that but everything he said was true to form of how it played out to this day um <clears throat> then you know This wouldn't be a documentary about the war on drugs and from the 80s era if we didn't hear our good old boy Ronald Reagan's voice in there talking about drugs. We're hearing Nancy Reagan just say no. And then we hear Big Bush, take my word, this scourge will stop. (laughs) We even hear Ronald Nixon talking about how the drug war is beginning and is starting to, you know, get out of control and they have to do something. We hear... Richard Nixon in the 70s in there saying that we see Donald Trump he in there saying we will build a wall (laughs) so we hear all of the U.S. government talking their shenanigans about the war on drugs we see uh an agent he's in there telling his story his name was Terry and they called they had a nickname for him called Grumpy Gringo. You know, that's what they call Americans, the gringos or the gringas. <laughs> and he was an agent for 28 years. And he was one of the agents, him and his team, who found the first tunnel. And they had a tip off about a drug warehouse, and that's where they discovered it at. This was a 30-foot sophisticated 150-yard tunnel with air ventilation, water pumps. <laughs> Like when they went down there, they were in shock. Like, you know, no ordinary person built this. This was somebody who studied architecture, who knew the brains of this. And they were just amazed. And this was only the beginning. This was in 1989. We also see it's a DEA agent in there named Jack Riley, and he's given a little bit of history about Chapo Guzman, and um, they caught uh, Waquan Guzman Larrera. I could be pronouncing his name wrong. Is a I could be pronouncing it wrong. Is a Waquan, but you know El Chapo. His that's his government name. But they called him Chapo, and that was for shorty. So he's given a little backstory of like, you know, he was very very smart. Uh, he put all of this together and we see the brains of him a little later on in the documentary because when you're just coming from the television show you just see him being just a soldier he was very low ranked you know he was the little young guy putting in a lot of work but we don't see the brains we start to see it a little bit in season two when a war starts and him and Coochie Loco are building the tunnel. But in here, we really, it's not a television show. So we really get to see on how he was putting everything together. And, you know, not only was he smart, but he was also very vicious. And we've seen that. <laughs> so um, 
we hear the voice of Chapo and he is saying how drug trafficking has always been a part of, you know, his culture. It came from his ancestors <laughs> and, you know, in his region, to be fair, there was no work. Um, they would grow poppies and marijuana very easily. They were like farmers. And in the 80s, um, he was well down in the ranks, which we seen that, you know, higher up. We had people like Miguel Felix. He was the brains. Rafa Carroll, he was uh, very smart as well, but he was more like the genius of growing the, the seedless marijuana. Don Nito was more of the old school man who kept the structure and, you know, knew how to play the game. So all three of them went in there very well. And Chapo was very low ranked by then. He was just a guy who was really putting in that work you know he took care of a lot <laughs> but he knew the value of smuggling he was very smart so it also shows on how when they built this tunnel they hired 30 men it took 30 men to get everything together all the 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 water you know the water pumps the ventilations the electrical forms, and they kept them in one house. They fed them. But as soon as they were done building the tunnel, what did they do? They executed them, all 30 of them, because they were the only ones who knew about it. And now they knew for a fact they would never get out. And, you know, that's very tragic, very, very tragic. And that happened a lot back in the day. You would have people who would build things for you, get something together, and to make sure it never got out, you know, after you got done using them for what you needed, they were murdered. A lot of innocent lives, you know, took that way. <clears throat> we get into where they go more into the documentary, and they talk about how, like, a kilo of cocaine back in those days I went for about 24000 a kilo and one truck a day with this operation they had with the tunnel, they were bringing in like 907 kilos equivalent to $21.8 million. So they weren't playing. Um, Chapo's ambition was to get Tijuana. That was an important part of that was an important city. And he wanted it. <laughs> he wanted it. And they showed us that in the show. You know, he was he was tired of going back and forth, arguing with the Felix brothers. They're playing jokes on each other. And, you know, he wanted to do his thing. And they always looked at Sinaloa like, you know, they were beneath them. And that's when he um started to. But in more of the show series, it showed you knew it wasn't going to really work out because after they killed Coochie Loco and all of that stuff happened, it, it just was no way. It was too much bad blood there. And at the end of the day, when you got all those cartels together, everybody wants to be number one. Everybody wants the most powerful the government behind them. They want to win, you know, so it's always going to be a battle. You know, no one's ever going to be satisfied with, okay, we got this, you got that. That's what was so important when Miguel Felix and the three were on top. They had all of that under control. You know, they had everybody satisfied as much as they could. And after, you know, everything went down with the Kiki Camarano case, it was never the same. It was over. And that's why it is the way it is to, to this day. So um, in the late 1980s, 
<clears throat> it was all controlled by the Felix organization, which were basically the two brothers. They uh, were responsible for more than 10,000 murders. They were very vicious as well. Um, Tijuana was one of the most lucrative smuggling hubs in America. And, you know, in the Americas, in, in the, it's the easiest place to move drugs into the U.S. But that comes with the price. It comes with a lot of, a lot of, a lot of violence, a lot in the most vicious ways you can do an act of violence, not just, okay, just a gunshot. No, this comes with some of the most vicious acts that you could ever see. And Sinaloa at the time, you know, they were known as the cowboys. They had the cowboy, you know, they were looked at as the cowboys. And Tijuana, they had more of the the loud colors, the flashiness, the loud suits. So they were more flashy and you could say one of upper echelonish, you know. Uh, Sinaloa probably was looked at as more of the cowboy thuggish types, you know. So the the Felix family, they they had a big family and they were all mostly all into it in the business most. Um, they had six siblings, which was Benjamin and Raymond. They ran things in the series. Raymond was much more handsome in the series than, you know, the real Raymond. And they had Eduardo, Francisco, Javier, and Inadina. We've seen a lot of Inadina and how she was the brains of a lot that happened in the Narco series, especially in season two when she was working with Isabella. So we've seen a lot of her. I'm thinking we're going to see her see a lot of her in season three. I haven't watched the episode yet. I was trying to kind of go along with you guys. So I wanted to do the documentary recap first and then do a few episodes tonight, a few tomorrow and a few Sunday. Um. It shows us that Benjamin, he was the brains of the operation. And Raymond, he was the muscle. We've seen that in the series as well on how Raymond, Raymond was a happy killer. <laughs> you know, like that's what made him and Benjamin was more serious. He wanted to make sure business was running smoothly. It also showed on how he was very loyal to Miguel Felix. So we also see that they wanted to be the Kings of Tijuana and the California drug operation. And Benjamin was like a pioneer into opening up the Tijuana routes into California and Los Angeles. He created like a international drug enterprise. And, you know, how could he not? Who was he, who was his uncle? <laughs> the You know, how could he not want to be a pioneer? He was the nephew of Miguel Felix. And, you know, they created a team called the Narcos Juniors. And in the mid-90s, the Narcos Juniors, they would help the uh, Arellano Felix organization smuggle over $400 million in cocaine across the Tijuana border every month. At the same time, you know, like, that was bringing in 70% of cocaine into the U.S. And this brought on a lot of jealousy 
They were on top of the world. You know, after everything went haywire, after the, the Guadalajara cartel, the Federation split and everybody went into their own. You had the, the, um, the Juarez, you know, you had a model doing his thing. You had the golf, you had Sinaloa, you had everybody split and they were they were reigning reign supreme in their territory. Like they had the best route. So it was easier for them. Um, so this brought a lot of jealousy and it became the number one rival Chapo versus the Felix brothers. And in 1989, it gave the Felix brothers an excuse to start a war. They were at a party that, uh, they threw and one of Chapo's best friends he attended and I don't know why he would go to a party with the Felix brothers, but, you know, it's showing all of this in a documentary. And one of his best friends went and he went there and it showed on how a couple years back he had kidnapped one of the Felix brothers sisters. So that was just a bad idea to go there. And he was murdered. He was gunned down at the party. And this is which what started the war in 89. <clears throat> Till this day, this is a result of ongoing drug war. Tijuana has one of the most highest murder rates in the world. We're not talking about in the U.S., they saying in the world. And in 2019 alone, in 2019 alone, more than 2,100 people were murdered in their Tijuana. The documentary goes on to show us the vicious climax from the reign of the Felix brothers, you know, that still carries on to this day. It's, it's very sad. It's a lot of innocent lives that were lost. And in 1991, after dozens of killings, it goes to show dozens of, you know, all of these gun battles that they were having, a lot of innocent people losing their lives, a lot of the Sicarios killing up other Sicarios on each side. They actually agreed to come up with a truce. You stay in your lane, I stay in my lane, we'll stop using your routes. And they started a truce. Everything was easy. El Chapo, he promised to stop trafficking through Tijuana, but in 19, that was 1991. So that didn't last long. In 1992, at a nightclub called Christine's, they were having a party and they were, um, this was the Felix family, the Felix brothers that were throwing a party and they were ambushed by 40 of Chapo's Sicarios because Chapo always had a back plan. <laughs> like he would say truths, but he always had something that he was planning. And we've seen that towards the end of the dot. So 40 of his Sicarios, they ambushed them, leaving multiple dead and hurt. And that left the Felix brothers who vowed revenge. So this was like an ongoing war for years to come. And, you know, in the 80s, in the early 80s, when, when Miguel Felix was out, he had a heart to this shit. <laughs> you know, he didn't, he didn't play it. He was very structured. It, it's like him and Rafa. Rafa was out of control. But, you know, as far as those those three, when they were in charge, they were running like a, a damn General Motors operation. You know, like what they built was crazy. And but they had control. They had control. And they said that the older, the older man, Donito, he didn't play that. He did not play that. And, you know, after they went in 
it showed in the end of season two where Miguel Felix was like, you know what? You're going to miss me when I'm gone because now you have let the, the wolves out to play. You left them out. You let them out the cage and it's going to be blood. And it was. So um, after that, we see one of the Felix brothers, his Sicarios was actually in his documentary. He, um, he had left the organization and he's talking about multiple murders that he, you know, he committed multiple homicides. He committed very vicious homicides, like with cutting off people's heads and just a whole bunch of gruesome things. And he's telling the stories and we see home footage of uh, recordings of the family we see how they dominated Tijuana. And if they seen at that time anybody driving around and they had Sinaloa plates, car plates on their car, they would kidnap them, torture them, uh, especially if they couldn't get them to work for them and be inside Intel. And they just didn't want anything to do with any business. They probably were visiting, working, and they were kidnapped just because they had Sinaloa plates. So um, it goes to show in 1993, most narcos in Mexico drove the same cars as politicians and businessmen. That was like a grand marquis car. All of them drove it. And May 24th in 1993 at the Guadalajara airport, they got word um, from an informant that Chapo was going to be there. And it led to a, uh, just the epic, brutal gun battle. And they were coming out celebrating because they thought that they had found the white car of the Grand Marquis that Chapo was going to be in. And they were celebrating and everything. But come to find out, it left seven dead, 20 cars damaged and gunshots. And it wasn't even him. It was one of the cardinals. And he was very loved in Mexico. He fought for the people. And the Felix brother immediately had to go into hiding. Chapo went into hiding as well. Because it, they were all connected in this. And, you know, this was not good. This, this, this The cardinal was very loved. So... It shows the brothers, they were at the top of the list of suspects, but Benjamin, he wanted to go ahead and cut a deal. So, you know, <laughs> you ain't, you ain't finna even make it if you don't visit Mexico City. <laughs> we have talked about this in an Arco series before. We mentioned it. We did Snowfall in season three. You have to go to Mexico City to get through anything. So, you know, he ended up meeting with the government talking to the chief of federal of the federal police and he basically they had this in a documentary you know handed over 10 million and over two of his gunmen two weeks later after the cardinal's murder chapo is captured so chapo is sentenced to 20 years and nine months for drug trafficking and the brothers ultimately think hey we want because now they're good because they, you know, paid off their thing. They handed over to it our gunmen and Chapo was arrested and sent to 20 years. So now everything can go back to running Felix Reign Supreme. And while uh, Chapo was inside, <laughs> that just shows you he always has a black back plan. He is, you know, creating 
a vendetta of his own organization. So he spent years with the plan in motion. And by this time, you know, stuff is still happening and they're actually still looking for Raymond. And uh, it have like different journalists in there, different people who have wrote books on this, different uh, other agents telling their story. And one of the agents was saying how they didn't have an up-to-date picture. So they didn't really know how Raymond looked and they end up coming off, coming across a VHS tape of one of David Letterman's cameraman. And it's on Hollywood Boulevard. And, you know, Raymond, he's in there with this disguise on, he got this Jordan Jersey on this long ass wig. (laughs) And this was in the uh, mid 90s and he was on Hollywood Boulevard on U.S. soil on U.S. soil. They had no idea. But when they got the, the footage, they, they knew it was him just by the disguise. And he was very noticeable. And I want to say that came from I think they said that came from one of his old Sicarios who had left the organization who sent that in. So also in there, Chapo, he, he was um, in prison building up his own organization and turning the prison into his business headquarters, building up a master plan. And one of the Sicarios who worked for the Felix family is telling the story of why he quit the organization, how um, he was sent to San Diego and he was always against killing women and children. And that was a big thing back in those days. The game had rules clearly there are no rules anymore and clearly there is more women who want to be a part of the game as well so you know if you want to be in that game you're not gonna have the rules that used to apply but back in the day it was no women no children that's that's been gone that's been gone it's been so many women children that were murdered from this life of drugs from all over any state country any ethnicity, not only black, not only Mexico, Mexican, um, all ethnicities. It has been so many lives lost off the war on drugs, the drug game, the drug business, these operations, these cartels, these organizations. It's been so many lives lost. And not only that, so many innocent lives lost to where it's really, really sad. Um, So... One of the Sicarios, he's telling the story on how he was always against that. And when he was sent to San Diego, he um, seen a woman who he was supposed to put the hit out on and he didn't want to do it. But he just closed his eyes and shot her and her kid was in the back and bust out crying. And at the time, his wife was pregnant with his first child. And he said, you know what, This, this ain't for me. And when the news footage came out, the lady was pregnant. And he said that hit him even harder, knowing that he had a baby on the way and just had killed the woman and her unborn child, which hell, I never mind. But I mean, I guess he got out, but that don't make up for the fact that you killed a a woman. We don't know why he killed her. We don't know what she was affiliated. Maybe she was a witness. It didn't go on to say, but, you know, from the murders he was saying he committed, that don't make him no better. You know, you ask me my opinion. I mean, you're talking about vicious crimes. Some of these people were 
cutting people into body parts, you know, just cutting their, cutting them all onto pieces. That's like vicious. That's not just like a homicide where, you know, you just shoot somebody. They were doing very, very violent acts. And in January, January, 2001, January 19th, 20, um, 2001 to be exact, Chapo, <laughs> this wouldn't be the first time or the last. <laughs> well, this wouldn't be the last. He escaped. After eight years in prison, he escaped. One day after they brought extradition over to Mexico, where they could be extradited to the U.S. And if you guys have been following me for my Narcos coverage, and we talked about Escobar, this is what started the war with Escobar against Colombia was the extradition. That is what he what he was pissed about. You know, getting embarrassed and getting kicked out of the politician's world but extradition was what it was all about and he escaped just in time because that was most of their fear they could deal with a lot hell they could even deal with getting gunned down but they did not want to get extradited to a u.s prison the prisons over there in colombia in mexico they were like their own world they'll still be running their business everything will be doing good but in the cells over in the u.s it is very very different i do want to do a breakdown of that it's a documentary called the 13th and it talks about incarceration in the u.s We'll probably get to that a couple months down by we have so many other things we're covering right now, but I definitely want to talk about the 13th. So uh, February 10th, 2002, um, Ramon, this was right after Chapo, escaped. He went, he ended up getting word purposely. He was purposely tipped off that Chapo was going to be at a restaurant and he went to go kill Chapo. And at the same time, while he's going to kill Chapo and got tipped off purposely, police were there and they end up getting into an ultimate gun battle, which left Raymond murdered and shot. Three weeks later, Chapo lands another devastating blow to the Felix organization and he kills some more people and they were actually the sinaloa cartels was feeding information to the police the deas and that was also helping bring down that organization and we've seen that before in the narcos world because we've seen how when escobar was took out look at who all joined forces they had to bring the u.s over there bring their dea agents they had the cia which Let's not even go there about the CIA. Um, they had the Los Pepes. They had the Cali Cartel. So we've seen a little bit of that kind of going in, in the play in here where they were feeding information to the DEA and that helped bring them down even further. You know, who, whoever's paying the most or got the most backing behind the government, they will win, you know. And we've seen El Chapo was in there coming up with a plan. So how close the brothers were and, you know, how that family was close. The Sinaloa cartel was purposely tipping off the DEA that if you want to catch Benjamin, he's going to be at that funeral. And sure enough, that's where he was. And when the police came in, uh, they captured Benjamin and showed him getting captured in the documentary. And he was actually 
captured and extradited to the U.S. And um, he was extradited to the U.S. in 2011 and he was sentenced to 25 years in prison. So he was captured at first, but he wasn't extradited until 2011. And he's currently incarcerated at USP Lee to this day. Chapo orchestrated one of the, the most... <laughs> sophisticated downfalls ever in pri- while he was in prison those years um he came out and you know ultimately won but he became the head of the Sinaloa cartel and one of the most powerful drug traffickers in the world but in 2014 it didn't say this in a documentary kind of cut off there but it goes on to show how he was captured in 2014 but we know that wouldn't be the last he, he escaped and he was captured again. He's currently incarcerated. Now I know a lot of his people have started to flip. I don't know if it's coming from Mexico side or in the U S cause he had some people in the U S but they have flipped. Um, I know 50 cent is doing a show based off that with the two brothers. So we're going to check that out as well. So that was my recap of the documentary Narcos Wars. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I wanted to talk about it before we started our Narcos Marathon, enjoying the last season of the Narcos franchise. Um, We have covered every episode just about. I didn't do uh, Narcos, the Cali Cartel. That was season three. I wasn't. I wasn't a fan of the Cali cartel and then you know after you watch it it was like the opposite you know (laughs) when you watch it and you watch um Pablo Escobar's reign and you see his downfall you just didn't want to watch the Cali cartel (laughs) you know um and then I really got into um Narcos Mexico I my heart went out to the uh Camarano family the agent who lost his life brutally um his family and I was very intrigued on how this was the start of what never ended as far as how Mexico is ran like it all started in the 80s and you know that's why how everything is today this is where Chapo came from and this is where the DEA after the the death of Kiki Camarano, how they were took it more seriously. So it is a very important part of history. Um, I love to talk about it. I love watching all of the documentaries and I've enjoyed this franchise of Narcos and I'm looking forward to see what they do with the story of Blanco. So I'll be here to recap that as well. So on that note, um, I'm going to go ahead and get off now. We can start our Netflix and chill weekend. So make sure you guys catch up. And I'll come back on tonight. Uh, I'll upload the episode no lo- no later than 10 p.m. EST. That's when it'll be uploaded no later than. And I'll recap season one, season three. I always say that. I'll recap episode of season three, one through three. So we'll do one through three tonight, and then we'll pick back up tomorrow. So you guys go ahead and catch up, and I'll holler at you tonight. It's your girl, Shanice, and I'm out. Hope you enjoyed the show with your girl, Shanice.